Welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food, first class travel for the perpetually curious foodies out there. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be at the controls today along with our foodie fact finder James Winter. Hi there. And on today's show we are exploring some of the strangest and most resting places that we can think of to eat on planet Earth, delving into the weird, wonderful and delicious food adventures we've been lucky enough to experience, and in some cases endure, to see what we've learnt about eating along the way. So without further ado, prepare your stomach for a journey to the centre of extraordinary food. Hello James. Hi Jay, how are you doing? I'm good, this is an interesting adventure today. Do you want to share with our listeners what you are doing as we speak? Well we were talking about sort of interesting unusual places that we've eaten and and obviously I don't want to, it's not a parade of wonderfully glamorous meals that we've had but I do have a box at home that I keep a lot of menus. I used to try and try to help me remember where I'd eaten and what people I'd met. I'd try and keep a menu and where where appropriate get people to scribble some thoughts on it and to try and put dates next to it and sometimes tick what i ate but i'm just i haven't looked at it in god best part of about 10 years i love it though so there are, this is so cool so there are some places that i, I totally forgotten i've been to i was just found a, a menu that i don't actually know where it's from but i've got two and one is a white truffle menu so that puts it in the uh, fancy bracket the five courses were 175 pounds i don't know if i was paying probably not couldn't afford that um <laughs> Or eight courses at 120. Oh, right, that's interesting. So maybe they're different places with a wine flight at 95 pounds per person. But I don't know what restaurant it is. I put a couple of dots next to some things. I had king. I had Scottish scallops with seaweed butter and lemon, and seven onions, pickled onion, cinnamon is all it says. Menu de Marche. I don't know where this might be. I've got a. I mean, I don't know. There's a warm honey madeleine with vanilla ice cream. Ooh. I just don't know where this could be. Adore foie gras. There's foie gras with nashi pear and licorice. Oh, if the chef is listening out there who runs this restaurant, Hello. do let us know, because this would be brilliant. And if it's Gordon Ramsay, I do apologise for not remembering a fabulous <laughs> meal I had at your hospital road. <laughs> I love this. If, if you ever had any doubts that you were an absolute devout foodie, it's all gone now that well, you're back, you keep old menus sitting next to you and you read them like a book. It's brilliant. Well, the other one I found just before we move on is probably one of you know, going from from you know you're talking about you know sort of the kind of gourmand I am here. This is a menu uh, from the Elton John suite at Vicarage Road, Watford, where we're obviously the Mighty Hornets play every every couple of days, <laughs> playing um, not playing tonight, playing the weekend. The menu I don't know. I think I was invited there by a friend who had sponsored the match ball uh, one evening, where we had uh, we had I think it was a buffet where we had uh, a sorted smoked fish platter. Um, Followed by Logan, uh, Lamb, Rogan, Josh. Ooh. With, in between, a, uh, a footballing quiz hosted by none other than Luther Blissett, footballing legend. Luther Blissett, uh, indeed and a I footballing legend. Oh, wow. And I think, uh, to, you know, so I have, I have all sorts of members. And that's what you think. It's the, sometimes when you go to these places or experiences anywhere, you kind of have them and you enjoy them and they're brilliant. But it's so hard now. We take a picture or two and they're quite nice. But you, we, we always, well, I realised, but I would never remember what I ate. You know, or when I went, you know, there'd be a picture of the table. And I thought, well, I'm just going to take menus. And oddly, I used to think that restaurants didn't like you taking menus. And now I work on the other side. I know, obviously, there's a cost to printing menus. But generally, they chuck them away at the end of the night. So they don't really care. And it's a really lovely memento if you are lucky enough to, to go to one or two interesting places. Just keep a copy of the menu. I'd recommend My it. My wife has a one genuine day. photographic memory for the food sheets in any place we've ever been to. Uh, it's not necessarily always a positive because she loves her food and if the place did food she didn't like, 
everything else in terms of the memory will be completely ruined because it all matters about that. But I can say to her, any place we visited, I'll be like, this year, this kind, and she'll be able to tell me what we ate there. And it's amazing. It's like really? your box of menus. I can ask her and suddenly mm. it all comes flowing back. I'm like, oh yeah, I'd forgotten all about that. It's, um, yeah, I think it's where you're, you know, what, well, what matters in the experience when you're there. No, absolutely. And I, th- I wish I had that memory. I can tell you that I ate pea and mint salad fish goujon sandwich and a lemon and thyme marinated chicken with triple good chips at the Three Oaks in Giles Cross once. <laughs> I don't know when, but there you go. This is a harvester menu. <laughs> <laughs> so just so our listeners know, so the idea behind this is that we are going to step through some of the places that we've explored over the years. Uh, and the idea that this is not, as James said, this is not a sort of uh, trip through fancy places or, or showing off journeys and trips we've been on some of these things will be in odd places but it's more about jogging our memories and trying to explore food experiences that changed the way we thought about stuff and by sharing that experience compare notes on it and see where we go but to do that we're going to need some help luckily we have our guest host back who is the perfect man to do it for us striding through the mists of time once again whip and hat in hand he is the time traveling food historian who's had a spoon in all the great history all who's had a spoon in all i can't say he's had spoons everything you can imagine put yourself off he's the indian he's the indiana jones of the food world and a man with his own catchphrase james try saying meltonville without saying Mm. It's Mark Meltonville. Hello, Mark. Hello, Welcome I'd back. love to say that never gets old, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, uh, luckily, um, if you're going to go for fancy, I'm going to go for places which help so we can we can really uh, mm. uh, make sure it's not just a cavalcade of how expensive everywhere could be. No. But as you said, I'm, uh, any of my weird food memories will be dotted around the globe. But again, this is what we all do for work. So it's you know, it's a privilege of our work, but it's it, it's not us doing it. It's not. Uh, I don't get to holiday in all these places. I just get dragged no. there to look at uh, look at weird <laughs> and wonderful foods and have a brilliant time. But uh, yes, uh, yeah, come and put that in your mouth, Mark. What do you think to that? Yes, yes. <laughs> oh. uh, talk about this. Um, <laughs> that's what I always get told to do. Yes, come come here and talk to a lot of people about something. That's well. That's your yeah. When you're up there lecturing, <laughs> yes. Do you so, ever do you ever lecture with a mouthful? Do you ever sometimes go? I think about the first Try not this. to. Uh, <laughs> and 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 one of my greatest regret, regrets because I now still stick to it is I never drink if I'm lecturing because I really? started I off. See that of you? I think uh, it'd be the opposite. No, you always drink. No, when you never, never, never have a drink if I'm lecturing. If it, so, which when I do after dinner speeches is an absolute pain because I <laughs> even after you've it, done your speaking, you still won't. Oh, afterwards, no, down the pub. Uh, singing songs about gypsies or something. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're um, there is that no, absolutely no. not allowed <laughs> when i was when i started off lecturing when i was young it, it's quite nerve-wracking and it should always be a little bit if you go out in front of an audience of three four hundred if you haven't got butterflies you're not going to do a good job but there was always that fear amongst the people you met you know just just have a drink before you go on and i thought well eventually you're going to think you're good if you do that <laughs> Yeah, so I, I've stuck to that one. Have so, you heard that, James? As, as, you know the heavy drinking before the podcast. You do listen to a professional. Yes. Listen to what Mark yeah, said. Right. He's third pint of vodka tea. now. That's how he gets. <laughs> he, get, he calls it a well, loose. Well, so, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. I get more interesting to myself the more I drink. <laughs> that's the problem. That's why I don't. <laughs> so, Mark, the ground rules for this because this was your idea. Right, okay, the ground okay. rules for this conversation. I think we're going to do two 
two, two. Well, we'll see where we go. But okay. two each, okay. two unusual, interesting locations each. But as you said, this is more about sort of opening our minds up to other experiences we've had, right? Yes. All right. Okay. So we need to spin. Should we spin the uh, spin the yes. spinometer and see who goes first? Okay. Uh, Mark. <laughs> oh, I won. Oh. Oh, the, the high-tech equipment you're <laughs> it's using amazing. today. It is. Right. Ooh, I'm going to go top of... I made a quick list when I thought about this one. And the top of my list says mangrove swamp. So I can't... <laughs> oh, I, you can't... Man, you can't You can't ignore a title that says, remember the mangrove swamp. <laughs> right. Um, what is a mangrove oh, swamp for a start? Mangrove swamp is usually... Um, it, it, it's Mangroves grow in on the sort of coastal edges... Um, all the all the bayous in America, there a lot of those are mangroves. Uh, so if I'm thinking uh, like New, New Orleans, those kind of yeah, Louisiana all, swamps, somewhere that floods with seawater, you've got those trees with all those multiple roots that you see in all these nature programs, right? So imagine a sort of inlet, salty water on the edge. In this case, of West Africa. What were you doing there? Just, uh, well, I'm in a canoe. <laughs> One of those dugout ones. Are you lost? That's, but are you um, looking for something? Yeah, why, yes, why, why, I'm, why I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a stilt village that some guide has said, we really should go to this little village out in the mangrove swamps. So I've fallen for that. And I'm in a wooden canoe being uh, paddled along by some people who get very excited about a big shadow in the water. But I don't understand what they're pointing at or screaming about. Right. But anyway, we, <laughs> but we we get paddled along to this this little village because it's. Uh, I'm looking at fishing villages and things like that, and God, do they stink! <laughs> and <laughs> this one doesn't because it's in the mangrove swamps. And we get out, and the whole point of being in this little stilt village is apparently they make the most stunning oyster omelette. So there's my meal. It's only it's just an oyster omelette. Nothing else. That's what we're going to have. We're going to try because these these fishermen live on this little village that's on stilts in the mangrove swamp. Uh, they catch the oysters. They bring them up. Fresh oysters are gorgeous. They chuck them in with a with a, an omelette, and you all get to to eat away. Now and that's so I've never heard of an oyster omelette before. I'd... Oyster omelette. And would they would they see? I mean, obviously they would season it with something or not? Is there any kind of a... um, I can't. Herbaceous flavour. No, it wasn't. Much, it was. It was more about the freshness. I, there was mm. a bit of salt and pepper in there, but it was one of those. He said, "This is all about memory and and a, odd, a little bit of oddness." So if it's not odd enough, having been in a wooden canoe, just coming off the coast of Senegal, uh, in a, in a mangrove swamp, it was the realization as you're chewing down on this quite nice omelette that they live in this village, nice as it is. Um, their toilets empty into the very lake your oysters have come out of. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I so, guess oysters, they need yeah, that too, right? Yeah, it was, a, it was one of those Not sort it. of shrugging moments where you think, yeah, oh well, <laughs> I'm here now. Yeah, exactly. And where's the nearest long drop? Because this is not going to be a good trip home. Uh, but... Well, it was, as it turned out, over the edge of the uh, oh. still village. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, and did it, so, so when you were trying it, what was the actual, um, what was an oyster omelette um, like? Of the very small group of Westerners, it was one, one canoe's worth of Westerners, I was with a couple of others, I was the only one that would eat it, which says something about, oh. everyone else had twigged by then, having visited the loo after their two-hour canoe journey, <laughs> that uh, that they were peeing straight into the lake and suddenly went off their breakfast. Oh, oh this is breakfast as well, was it? <laughs> I don't know, I can't remember. Oh, yeah. So how big is a freshwater oyster compared to a saltwater oyster? Very similar. Um, I'd, I'd love to be able to explain it, but they turned up as sort of little black specks oh, really in the omelette. Because <laughs> they, they'd already chopped them up and cooked them. Yeah, so. That's for freshwater omelette. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh. <laughs> so there we are. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, find me another 
weird place that someone else has been. So go on, James. The wheel has spun to you. Well, Take us on an adventure. Yeah. Now, okay. Well, the place I was thinking of when you talked about places, because obviously that's that's what flicking through my box of menus. Mark's right. This isn't about you know, sort of luxury, and we do do this for a living, and we're very lucky to eat at these places. But sometimes we do go on these adventures, which take us to places that we otherwise wouldn't have gone to and i'm thinking of a, of a restaurant that's up in the mountains in the central sort of spine of, of the island of mallorca in the balearics and it's it's you know it's one of those sort of foodie pilgrimages that you you know you can't stumble across someone has to tell you about it someone has to introduce you to it or or, or suggest you go and a, a friend chef of mine actually has been on this program fernando stavel we talked about it we often would talk about ideas and places to go and he happened to be in in mallorca and he was much more organized than me and they managed to organize a table there this, this place and and off we went to, to 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 i happened to be there with my family too it wasn't a, a, a special trip but we made this journey up this up this mountain path in our cars very windy to the top of this mountain where you know literally is a is a, is a, a few barns run by a, a very elderly lady and her family um with lots of other tourists now because it's we weren't the first to arrive you know those people have discovered this place but it was it was very simple and the food was one thing it was just it was it was a it's lamb chops i guess i can't remember maybe let's get a lamb shank in in beer put in a pan in the wood burning oven and served with chips and that was it and people just queued up, and that's what you got. And, to, and you also, she also did snails. She did a kind of tray of snails, again in beer, all arranged, tightly packed into a little sort of dish of some sort, into the oven, out it comes. And that's what people would sit up these tables, communally, some of them, or types of table, every, anywhere she could put a table now, because it was getting, you know, people Just for these it. two things? Yeah. Or was it was it that it's good? Called, it's called S. Vergere. Well, look, it, it, it's, I was thinking about this because, no, I mean, it, it was a lovely meal. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't, you didn't go, God, this is mind-blowing, you know, flavour-wise. But the climb up the mountain, but just the sheer ridiculousness of what you were doing, the excitement of thinking, there can't possibly be a restaurant up here. And then you get there, there's lots of people already there drinking rosé. And then, you, I mean, obviously wondering, oh, how much rosé can we drink because we've got to get down this mountain? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the following day, just and cars everywhere as people have driven off the edge. And so kind of, it, create, it creates an atmosphere around the people, which is, you know, you're in you know you've gone somewhere it is a mini adventure and it was i mean the food was so similar she was lovely she was always everywhere it was you know she was great greeted everyone and you know by that point you know i think people someone sort of two people having a picture with her because she's a bit of a you know a foodie celebrity in a way you've made this pilgrimage but it was such a simple meal but i don't think i'll ever forget it because it was just the sheer exhilaration of making that climb finding it sitting there realizing Oh, God, this is so simple. It's just two things on a menu. We just sat and ate and drank and talked and laughed and had a lovely time in the sunshine up a mountain, looked at the view, and then somehow managed to get down without killing ourselves. You know, it was, But it's the, it's the mixture, it, isn't it? it? The, 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 the two food ingredients were simple, but the ingredient of the experience and the location, like you said, is, is so wrapped into the food. If you had that food anywhere else, you'd have been just meh. And if you had that experience without that food you'd have probably been like, okay, we're at the top of a mountain for no particular reason. Put the two together and it becomes this sort of magical mix. And it creates, and, and because you're doing it, you know, you go there to meet a friend, there's a journey, you know, there's an adventure getting there and, you know, you kind of, it's a bonding thing, you know, in a similar way to Mark's Mangrove Swamp Adventure, it was an adventure, right? It wasn't, you know, if he'd had that oyster omelette, you know, at home or someone had got, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, hit, the whole, whole context is important, which I guess is what we're kind of leaning into. Our place is 
define the memories that we have around food and this was this was a particular one when you mentioned that that's it's one of the more unusual places i've had a hopefully I, I i mean ideally in our listeners minds they're also now sparking or because as you're talking to me i'm just thinking of a sort of whole rolodex i'm like oh that yeah that reminds me of this and that reminds me of this and they're not all exotic places i was thinking oh there's a cafe i tried that was a bit like that and it's it's fun isn't it because sometimes when you hear someone else's memories they spark off thoughts in your head about unusual... I have a strange mm. memory. I'm sure at some point when we were kids, we went to somewhere that sounds very similar, like in Spain somewhere. And I remember trying to get up the hill on my da- with the dad. We had like one of the hired mopeds and we couldn't get up the hill. And it, <laughs> my mum having to walk up or something. But you get these funny little, you know, those sort of smoky memories in your head. You're like, I'm sure mm. I've tried something along those lines before. That sounds remarkable. That is a... Um, I didn't realise the food was so simple there as well. When you mentioned it before, I thought it was going to be something awfully sort of gourmet and very very clever no it's just a big wood-fired oven they've built a big oven and she just puts lamb in it because they obviously must keep some goats and lamb up the mountain because i don't think she goes down the mountain very often unless it's <laughs> right I don't know, this is a medical emergency because it was very very steep oh, poor old <laughs> okay so my memory is very along similar lines but it is so vivid in my mind i can literally still taste it in my mouth i was uh in australia um the great bite of australia we were filming we were due to film on a a deep sea trawler for about a month for a program for channel four and i was going to be on board the trawler and that was a very interesting experience but that's not what this was about we got to hang out the the guys who ran the trawlers also had a, a a big business doing tuna and they had tuna pens uh off the coast which i'd never experienced before in my life and it 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 blew my mind what what this was so uh, I'm sure you guys all know about it, and I'm, I know lots of our listeners will as well. But it's obviously there's a huge uh, in the Australian market for the Japanese market. There's a huge credibility on on tuna that is caught uh, as gently as possible, so it's it's not bruised in any way, shape, or form. So obviously that's why line caught tuna, and there's so much you know extra money spent on tuna when it's delicately raised. So what they were doing was they had these huge pens, right? And this was basically like a sort of a round ring on the surface of the sea with big nets that went down oh, 30 metres. And across, these must have been 20, maybe 30 metres across these pens. And they had them out in the in the deep ocean. And what they would do is they'd put tuna in them and they'd go out and feed them, like literally shoveling food in off these big boats. They'd be shoveling food in for these tunas to have. Uh, out in the uh, out in the sea and until once the tuna got to a certain size which was ready to sell they would then tow these whole rings back in closer to the shore at which point they could then harvest the tuna in as delicate way as possible with these guys who just use these basically fishing poles and just pulled them straight out on to the deck so it's this incredible operation i was fascinated and he took me out and he was very proud and there was huge amount of money wrapped up in this operation because obviously feeding these tuna is the work of of months and months and this expensive food and getting out there with these boats think of the diesel they were paying for just that and then towing these things back in again but they also have another problem because when they're out in the deep ocean these pens are full of tuna which to a shark is basically (laughs) the harvester buffet sitting there so what happens is sharks bite their way into the uh through the netting in the bottom of these tuna pens and go in there and just go crazy so on the boat, there was these couple of Aussie guys who were, like one of them was like crazy blonde hair and his eyes were just like mad eyes. And his job was to jump in there and get the sharks out. <laughs> like, dude, what? And he had this electric 
And how would he? How would he so get this them out? Long probe thing, which is sort of like a sort of stun probe thing, which just had electricity. And what he'd do is he'd swim down and just bzz, bzz, zap them back out the hole, and then stitch the hole up again. And he was, and I just sat there. I was, I, stood, I was on the boat, going, "Oh my god!" And I watched these guys, and they just go, "Right, go on, right," and just dived in, swam around in there. Luckily, there weren't any sharks. It was all, you know, fine. But they, they, then they got out. It's like it's all right, mate. There's nothing in there. We're all good. So would he go inside the? the they would pen? go inside and outside. Was that what he yeah, so he'd do? Outside, you wouldn't want to be on the you outside. You want to be on the inside guy, with a shark either. <laughs> well, but, well but sharks wouldn't get. Well, sharks wouldn't get into the pen, would they? Well, yeah. they get. They bite through That's them and the get point. in. Once they like got in, in the his job was yeah. to get them back out again. So he's yeah. He had to go yeah. in and get the sharks back out, which is crazy. So anyway, what happened was they got out, and then they were like. Go on then, Jay, do you want to go in? And I was like, what? Go and have a swim with the tuna. It's amazing, mate. Now, obviously, this was an England-Australia moment. I was representing not just myself here. I was representing the glory of our island, and they full well knew that. And they knew <laughs> that they go on then. Let's see if the Brit can handle it. Let's see if he can do it. So, of course, the only other... There's a pommy wimp. Yeah, the pommy wimp's not going in there. And I was like, yes, of course I will. Ugh. So I put on a wetsuit. And uh, uh, like a mask. And we were out in the deep ocean, which is quite intimidating anyway. You're in a deep ocean. And they said, okay, on you go, mate. And I just basically jumped inside this tuna pen. And uh, you put your head under the water and it's the most remarkable thing. Because these tuna are huge and they're like robots, mm. right? They're silver and shiny and they are whizzing past you. They're so fast. And they are, and everywhere you can see are these just these giant fish going whoosh, 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 whoosh. Like in front of your eyes, left, right, up, down, and it was. And they don't in, hit you. No, God, they're so fast. But you're just—they can see you. They know this pen's huge as well. But they're just whizzing around the place. You know, they're swimming. That's how they grow because they're swimming quite happily in there. Um, but it was just incredible speed of these fish, which I'd never, I'd never seen tuna as they are. My mm. entire experience of tuna up to this point was cans of tuna right that was it now i didn't presume they came out of the wild looking like cans but i didn't know quite what spectacular fish they were um so then and i'm getting to the food experience now uh, i then get back out the boat and on the deck of the boat they have lit up a barbie and they have caught one of the tuna which is a massive deal because these fish are worth an awful lot of money but they wanted to sort of celebrate the upcoming shoot we were going to do, put a bit of a treat on. The boss was there. I was there. Um, and they cut up this tuna and then they put these tuna steaks on the barbecue in the sunlight outdoors in this thing. And I was then served this tuna steak and it was just given to me between two slices of sort of just white bread. And I can taste it in my mouth now. The juices of it, when they flowed over me, and I was blown away by just the the... It was so fresh and vibrant mm. and exciting, and having been in that space and trying that thing, and 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 this was <laughs> on the keep. This was on the shore somewhere. You had this. No, too, this so was, was next to the tuna pen in the right. Deep ocean. So yeah, okay, yeah. So this right is out there. in the ocean, right? Wow, out, out in the ocean. And like I said, if my entire experience up to that point had been tuna, which was this sort of brown, flaky stuff, which didn't really <laughs> taste of anything, yeah. suddenly I was just like, my mind was blown. I was like, wow, there is a world of food out there where the food you think you know in my core sort of sheltered west country childhood of britain is not the same when you start digging into it and that was one of my early sort of real foodie experiences where suddenly i went oh wow food mm. can be incredible when you say like when you mix together the experience and the location and, and that's the thing it's not complex cooking no. it's 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 about what that means and, and obviously the, you know, the excitement and the exhilarating time you'd had you know being a ranks for tuna to then you know obviously 
yeah, to eat to chew doing that in that moment changes your perception of, of what it is. I guess. I mean, you know, it sounds oh, amazing. It just completely yeah. recalibrated my mind. So, um, mm. so that's one of my want. Mark, take us somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, I'm just listening to that, thinking. Yeah, I think everything we're talking about is going to show that food is 360 degrees. Absolutely, it's not about as you say. We're we're we're, we're quietly avoiding the fancy and the expensive because that's just money. Anyone can save up and do that. It's about these experiences that if you took away one thing from it, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. The meal wouldn't be the same as the... So um, where shall I go? Let's have an experience. I, anyone who knows me knows that uh, one of my loves is film. I'm, I'm a great film fan. And you might remember one of the early Rodriguez films was Desperado. Of course, yes. Fantastic piece of cinema, absolute shot on a shoestring, which is why it's so cleverly edited, all that stuff. Now, loving film is quite reasonable. Getting it into your small brain that you'd really, really like to go to the bar that they use in, in Desperado <laughs> because you happen to be working in Los Angeles, work again, not, not just... Uh, uh, not just having fun, and that if you went down to Mexico, you could try and find oh, it. Oh <laughs> wow! Okay, <laughs> because this I'm talking about the bar that Tarantino's killed in, that Cheech Marin shoots. Yeah, everywhere. yeah, which looks like right. just the worst bar you could ever yeah. imagine so, being in. So um, that you're spoilt for choice in in northern Mexico for bars <laughs> that look like that. I'm not sure I found the, the same one, but it was definitely made of breeze block. Um, it came with uh, those plastic tablecloths. <laughs> Oh. With the checkered checkered plastic tablecloths, yeah. uh, a genuine mariachi band. It was only two guys in one corner playing a little bit of something on the guitar because you couldn't hear that because of the massive fifty-inch TV showing football <laughs> yeah, yeah. blaring in the other corner. So that was very good. <laughs> now the meal itself, it's a, it's back down to you know you, you could have uh, a beer with a lime in the top, and they did two sorts of taco. Uh, both of which seemed to be pork. So the meal itself was nothing, <laughs> nothing special. But it took a surreal turn, if that's not surreal enough. Um, we weren't shot by Cheech Marin, which was a, a, Disappointing. a positive. <laughs> but there was no sweet. You couldn't have a sweet. They didn't. They just did these tacos that went with beer and you watched mm. football. But you, if you wanted something sweet, you had to pop outside into the street where a small boy had half an oil drum with a fire under it which I presume was still some oil in it, in which he fried some churros for you. Really? <laughs> so you got some oil fried churros fresh on the street in Mexico. Uh, the smell of the some oil, the heat of the pavements, the sound of the mariachi music, and someone screaming, Go! Will not leave me <laughs> for a very long time. Uh, and I wasn't ill. So that's great. <laughs> it's a win. <laughs> Oh, the churros were good. There's a theme here they... with your your meals, Mark. I'm just realizing not getting ill is, is, yes. is one of the most memorable parts of them. It's the Russian roulette, a, isn't it? It's the Russian roulette. If I get to do a third one, I'll I'll tell you about somewhere else I didn't get ill. <laughs> oh, that's very again, you can know you're passing on a vivid I got a very vivid image in my head of that, even though I wasn't there and I've never been anywhere like that. That was really those was the churro good? I again it's not about the food. It was all right. It tasted slightly as some oil, I think. <laughs> churros do not taste good. This is the th I'm just saying this now. No, they no, smell. Was, well, it, no, actually, I'll caveat that with churros taste 400. Uh, sorry, smell 400 better than they taste. Better. Yes. You yeah, walk no, past them, you're like, oh, that smells amazing. Eat it. 
never. It's all right. Never it lives was up you know, to the smell, does it's it? A, an, another sort of sweet donutty thing. Yeah. But it was. It's, it's all about what James was saying. It was a hot day. You know, you're thinking, but I'm in Mexico. <laughs> did you try and fit it? Did you try and blend in as well? Did you go uh, try and give you your no, best because, stare? No, um, because um, as part of work, what I was trying to do was buy um, raw chocolate in one of the markets and so on. And and a bit like yourself with your lovely Australian friends, the more flustered I get, the more more British you get. And go, oh, I, I, I'm most terribly sorry. Do you, do you have any raw chocolate? It's <laughs> great, isn't it? I love all that when you just... Yeah. I also paid 35 pesos for a mariachi CD because I felt sort of on about it. <laughs> and have you played this while trying to recreate that, that experience? Repeatedly. <laughs> repeatedly on... Moments of special celebration, out comes that CD, and the memories flood. Mark's neighbours are, are writing into a podcast now. <laughs> okay, so I'll I'll go next, and then we'll then we'll, yeah. we'll come we'll come to James because my memory involves you. So I remember a very, it's an incredibly vivid memory for me, um, and it was something that really surprised me startled me and 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 sort of sparked an interest that i never thought i would have but has actually been with me for 15 20 years and this was one of the very early probably i think probably the second or third thing i ever filmed with heston was when we were doing our christmas special for the bbc uh we wanted to cook some traditional christmas food and we wanted to cook goose something i'd never experienced before but we wanted to learn how it once would have been cooked and we knew that it was cooked on the spit. And it would have been cooked on the spit at Hampton Court Palace. So we turned up at Hampton Court Palace <laughs> to meet the resident food historian. Out steps Mark Meltonville, the first time I met you many, many moons ago. And I remember you were there. And the kitchens themselves are spectacular. Getting access to somewhere like Hampton Court Palace after hours as any any of the places we get into is brilliant but that place was particularly wonderful and fantastically spooky because i like going off for little wonders every so often i potted off around the corner and my mind started because this was completely dark hampton court palace and my mind started seeing faces in windows and all sorts of things i was like yeah i'm going i'm going i'm going back to the kitchens now but the kitchens were this brilliant vibrant uh warm interesting place and there was you bringing to life this world and then there was this guy who i just think of the chap with the beard there was a guy just sitting there by the spit turning it he didn't speak i mean he might have actually said hello but we didn't let him speak on camera because we only had two radio mics and he just turned and turned this thing and my memory of it my enduring memory of it is twofold my eyes were just completely drawn to that fire and there was something about it that felt incredibly right and familiar just the scale of it the the fire itself wasn't like a campfire this was something controlled and and the spit as it turned the sound of the fat dropping and dripping the 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 sort of the the reflection of the firelight on the outside of the goose and then trying the goose afterwards something i'd never had before was amazed by how uh, oily it was not oily but how, how juicy it was and how different it was to any of my experiences of sort of christmas birds before obviously just with dry turkey again growing up and from that moment on there was just a, a i became fascinated with this world of historical cooking and this idea of how we once cooked and and this connection with the right way of doing things once upon a time is still the right way of doing things now and and there was 
you tend to think about cooking on a spit as, as being a really simplistic and basic thing. And I just mm. in that moment realized it's not. It's an art form. It's a it's a, it's a very relevant and inten- in, you know intentional way of cooking. Um, so yes, I know you were there in that memory with me, Mark. Yeah, it was really. It, it's actually really skillful, and um, everything about that roasting is about opulence because you were stood there. There's this huge fire. There's a nine foot, so it's over nearly three meter fireplace um, that could, in the day, burn a ton of wood a day. So everything about that was price, 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 price. They didn't do one goose, by the way. You know, you put loads on there. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little think, bit think forlorn we worked on, out, the, uh, on the big I spit. think we worked out that each, because there were six fireplaces in there, each fireplace needed to be set up for 200 portions per meal. Wow. So originally it was quite, there was a lot of stuff on My there. Word. But no, it's it's a very, very evocative place. <laughs> if you uh, That that program was really good. That was Heston's Perfect Christmas. That's the one. Oh, good. That I turned forgot out. the name of it. And um, uh, if, if you ever want to feel you know get put in your place so that if you think oh yeah i'm, I'm on the telly me <laughs> <laughs> um it was resold around the globe um uh, and it's been seen in australia and america and everything but when they sold it they had to cut it for adverts and they cut out my no! bit no. <laughs> so that that teaches me if i ever think that uh, i do good on telly. i had nothing to do with that bit i didn't do the international reversions if i yeah. had i would so have revoiced everyone you. who's it's seen it it's a bit like me on this podcast yes. <laughs> my, i've got no idea if anyone's ever heard my voice jay just snips all the bits out but you know yeah. It's just, him, it's just, him just being you chatting today, Mark. James won't be on yeah. this. He's just <laughs> every time he speaks, we'll just put one of those beeps on. We put when people swear. <laughs> but no, oh, I'm I, very I, jealous. That's how, I mean, I have seen those kitchens before. But again, I wasn't mm. filming. No, I'd never met Mark, but I have seen one of the days where they run those kitchens, and it's yeah, God, it's extraordinary. You know, I mean, oh, man, you're right. I mean, that to, to see those things fire up and come to life and then produce food and get to eat it, I'm very jealous of that. It must be yeah, amazing. Yeah, I, I watched a lot of food being made that day, but I don't think they let members of the public like me try it for, for reasons no, of my, no. my my own safety. <laughs> That's because it's because I want my dinner. <laughs> <laughs> So, do i want to share it with 500 people no <laughs> the public uh, so come on then james where are you taking us uh, well i guess it's a, it's a couple of places because we're very much locked into places aren't we you know it's it's mm. you know where we've where we've had these meals and i've got, got a couple of things here so recently i suppose the last year i, I had a, a bit of a, a pilgrimage to to scotland where I ate at a, a again, this is a restaurant, so it's not. This is more restaurant even than the other. I've got a, another side story which is linked to a tuna one, but this is a restaurant just on the, literally, I think, on the shore of Loch Fine, um, a little tiny restaurant called Inver, INVR, which I'd never heard of, and I googled by chance because we were staying in an Airbnb type type place over and noticed it was nearby then that started to notice that somehow it was it was quite interesting and it had a bit of a profile whatever but what it is it was just a tiny little restaurant where it specialized in i suppose forage but sort of local ingredients and to you know we traced up there and you i, I didn't realize quite how much on the shore it was you literally walk across the kind of shingly sand to to get into the restaurant space and you sit with a little abandoned castle over the water and i ate some of the freshest seafood i think i've had fully you know in, in that way that i once read a review of nathan outlaw's restaurant by jay rayner who put it so brilliantly he said this is seafood for people that don't like seafood this is a fancy restaurant but this is seafood for people that you're not even asked if you like it this is how it comes i mean at every part of it, it was a whole it was a whole place 
you know, but it, everything, you know, liver intact, the whole thing. We just stuck it in a pan <laughs> and cooked it brilliantly, you know. So you know, with oh, all the bones word. in. Oh yeah, it was proper. You know, picking at it for a good. You know, could have picked it all day. You know, it was had bone. It was it, for me. It was wonderful, but you know, it was a bit of a journey. But it was, you know. It was so real, you know, the cooking was so good. I mean, it was so beautifully cooked, so there's a great chef in there. But really, they didn't do anything, you know, it's that simple thing. Don't mess around with good produce. I mean, it really wasn't. I mean, it was just had been pulled out of the, the sea that day, but cooked very well in the kitchen and put on my plate, you know, and I sat and I, I listened to the, you know, the sound of the water lapping up as I ate some wonderfully fresh seafood, looking at a, an abandoned Scottish castle, thinking I was in Highlander. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was really, that was, that was a really powerful memory. But think your, your, your tuna story triggered a memory of me which you know, for yeah. mine for my actual for my honeymoon in fact we the most exotic place i've ever been in my life was on my honeymoon with mrs winter we went to zanzibar um which at the time i'd never heard of someone in the office i was working at I suggested it would be a good honeymoon place um i couldn't afford it my parents gave us some money for a honeymoon so i spent it all i spent every penny on it booking a holiday to zanzibar not knowing anything about it ended up on a beach hut in the middle of nowhere um and there wasn't anything to do because people didn't really go to zanzibar at that point apart from to recover <laughs> from Kilimanjaro so it was it was built in for people staying two days drinking a lot of beer and then disappearing we were there for 10 days at this beach hut so we got to we got to because I didn't think about what the hell we were going to do when we got there we just could barely afford to get there so the guys who, who owned his beach huts could have put together a series of activities for me while Mrs Winter had had tattoos and done with the villagers it was wonderful right but I was taken fishing a couple of times and the guy took me um God, I can't remember his name didn't speak any English at all you know or anything you know we, we were communicating through grunts and, and sort of you know shrugs of shoulders because he hated white useless tourists right because they've always <laughs> brought bad luck on the boat they always got seasick before the reef line blah 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 came back with nothing <laughs> right and he'd taken some Germans out the day before and just was moaning you could tell I couldn't understand all the words he was moaning about how rubbish this plan was and I just remember <laughs> we got up and it was half past five in the morning before the sunrise and we had because we had to get over to the reef where the, re- re- the reef was um before sunrise because the fish were coming up and I just as soon as we started fishing, it was like something happened. You know, we threw a line in and suddenly there was a shout. Suddenly we had this something on the end of a line and they asked me to hold this line. And it was, this isn't like deep sea fishing like I'd ever seen the jaws and stuff. I'm not clipped into a chair. With the, <laughs> I'm literally stood on quite a small boat with a, with a plastic kind of... Uh, belt we put a belt with a plastic bit around with a hole in and, and the rod was jammed in this hole so it was wedged into my stomach and told oh, not wow. to let go and I start feeling the most powerful thing I'd ever felt in my life and I'm not that you know, I do more push-ups now but I wasn't very strong this thing was like a like you're talking about tuna and the sheer power and speed of these fish you suddenly realize the big fish are big and they're all solid muscle and then suddenly <laughs> Took me to, both round me, realizing we got something on the line. They won't, they won't let me lose it because this is worth too much money for them. So they grabbed me. I've got two men round my middle, and suddenly out of the water comes on the end of our line this spiralling swordfish, you know. And, and oh, it is my like word. A, so about six, seven feet long on the end of our line. About, I mean, in my memory, so it must have been about a few, you know, 100 metres away, a couple hundred metres away on this line, right? And we have to try and get it on the boat. And then obviously I start, you think, I'll just wind it in. And this is like a motor car. And so, you know, for about an hour, we took it in turns to wrestle this thing with me 
literally doing it for like two minutes of mid game. Someone <laughs> take this. Somebody take <laughs> this. It's really hard though, right? I've, I've, oh. I've never done it, but I've seen the videos of people. Well, these guys were these were brilliant, and it was really important. We managed to get this fish on board. So already the day is a success, right? This is an incredibly valuable piece of fish, you know, which is then going to be sold for lots of money. The village is going to have a great time. It was re- they were like literally. And then what happened during the rest of the day? We threw some more lines in. Um, I mean, I say we. <laughs> I think I was just staring at the swordfish in the middle of a boat with razor sharp beak but it was flapping everywhere well I'm you know I'm just told to go sit by it and make sure it doesn't <laughs> and then I realised that the captain oh god is his name? had bits of flesh missing from the back of his legs which I'd realised were from the various fish that had been nibbling at him on the boat over the years and, and as we put every rod in what my point was more we'd just catch more fish right we caught like three barracudas oh my um, god you know, and, and these have got teeth that stick out the front of their faces, right? So that's where the, they really did warm me to stay away from those. So literally like a look, lovely looking fish, beautiful, like a very long, thin fish, but literally with about five razor blades sticking out of his face. <laughs> Which, again, he doesn't want to die, let's be honest. This is, this is not how it's meant to end for the barracuda, but so he's fighting for his life. So I've got, we've got a few of those. I mean, randomly, when we brought the rods in at the end of the day, after it wasn't even that long, we didn't stay out. We'd stayed out a while, a few hours, but not, we didn't need to stay all that long because we caught so much fish. So we went, hey, let's go back. And we're putting the lot rods back in. I mean, there's, as the last rod comes out, there's a fish on the end of it, which no one even knew because it was, there were so many other fish to be caught. We didn't even notice that this rod had this fish. And it was throwing it was, it was, themselves at you. And it was a fish that was called, they called it a sweet mouth. And I think that is, I've Googled it many times over the years to try and understand what species of fish it is. And I think it's called a sweet mouth in the Indian Ocean. And it's, it's a species of, I mean, it's a very pretty fish. I don't think it's particularly prized for, for its eating, but it's a very pretty fish. And they call it sweet mouth because it's got big lips. You know, and it, it looks lovely, right? It looks, and so we brought all these fish in and obviously they carted off when we arrived the villagers had all come out to greet us on the because they'd seen the swordfish we got had my picture taken by everybody no. holding a swordfish what was your wife <laughs> thinking like what has he been doing I just think yeah basically what is going on this I've is married ridiculous. the right guy here this man has got it whatever it is <laughs> he's so got it <laughs> that evening when they were doing the barbecue for whoever was staying there weren't that many huts but there was always a bit of a barbecue going on they cooked a, they cooked the sweet mouth fish and they made a big song and dance about saying that this fish told Elba guess no one is to eat this fish until this man has had a piece because this is his fish <laughs> he catches moment. fish for the village <laughs> oh what a moment and so it was Lovely. given almost half a fish like a whole it was quite a big <laughs> fish i had this big slab of meat which i, I, I so you but i you know i buried that memory and it's it comes up from time to time but i just oh. remember it was that was a lovely meal though to be honest i mean on that trip, we had, we had, I mean, we had a lot of kingfish in that meal, which is delicious, by the way. Kingfish is lovely. This fish was not the most delicious fish I'd ever tried, <laughs> I'll be honest. Doesn't and I was matter. A bit, surpri- a bit sort of, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to finish this entire slab, but, you know, it was kind of... It's the it was, championship it was, it belt of the world oh, fish. Man. It's the, yeah. king, the man who well would done. be king moment for it you. It was a magical... <laughs> it was, one, it was my honeymoon, yeah. but two, it was a magical series of events happened on that, that trip, which are just, like your experiences, you know, when you're talking about, you know, you know the food that, you, you know, in the, with the tuna, and experience you'd never come across before they challenged every aspect of who I was and what I'd done before I'd never been to Africa not really been since in fact I don't think I have you know to, to you know to, to have these kind of really quite you know, inter- you know sort of personal moments you know out there in a place that's magical you know will stick with me forever and that, that fish story is you know indicative of that whole trip which was just full of these extraordinary food-based unusual moments you know where they'd serve tea at half past two in the afternoon in a blazing sun to four Englishmen because that's the way four Englishmen liked <laughs> so I don't really drink tea we had a lunch we were um 
about three days ago, we were pitching some ideas to some Norwegian buyers from um, Norwegian channels. And they came in and uh, we were in a meeting with them about three o'clock in the afternoon. And someone came and said, oh, anyone like any drinks? And all five English people said, oh, we'll have a cup of tea, thanks. We'll have a cup of tea. And, and I, noticed, I noticed the Scandies just looking at us because they'd ordered like Coke or something. And I was going, yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, okay, we don't always do this. but, <laughs> but we Today, yeah, today we do. It's time for tea. Yeah, and, and if someone offers you a cup of tea, you normally would go, yeah. yeah, why not? I might Especially not want three to. in the afternoon. Of course you're going to say yes yeah, to a cup of tea. You've, you've done a brilliant podcast about why tea's so good, haven't you? There you go, you see. We're a self-promotional yeah. loop. That's yeah. <laughs> so that would be one of the most memorable eating experiences yeah. of my my life just again for the journey and i think that's the, the message yeah. here that all this is is not about the luxury of the room and the fanciness yeah, of the cooking it's about the place and the people and the, and the, you know yeah the journey to be there it's such yeah. a delight well, as well hearing you guys and, tell and that, stories and that's what we're after isn't it getting back to all that i think that's what we've just spent the last 40 minutes pointing out that we we're looking forward to going places and sharing food with mm. people that's what we're after. And all the experiences Absolutely. we talked about there were very simple mm. foods. I mean, the, the, mm. the, the, yes. the dodgy omelette yeah. is probably the one that I've least liked. I'm intrigued by freshwater oysters. I don't think of no. Ever... I think it's it's salt water because that's what mangroves uh. are. I, I oh, are they? Right. I, I, yeah, I I didn't uh, go into a lot of detail on the fact that I couldn't talk to the man <laughs> with the paddle. <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners out there, please. Do share your extraordinary food experiences. We are at Journey to the Centre of Food on Instagram and Journey to the Centre of Food at gmail.com. We love hearing from you and we appreciate all the correspondence. But share with us your extraordinary food experiences because it is just, just just talking with you chaps now has just made me realise what a delight it is hearing other people's food stories because it is mm. so many wonderful experiences and adventures. And like you said, James, it sort of sparks thoughts in your own head. And, oh, yeah, I remember that. And there was this and there was that. And, and so many of our memories of these things do get buried or forgotten along the way as well mm. and there are i mean oh god i'm just thinking of for another day but sometimes you know <laughs> as heston always said about that idea of what you had after at the swimming pool and when you're having a bag of frazzles at the swimming pool with the smell of chlorine uh, when you're waiting for mm. your, your mum to come it's something like those memories as well there's all these yeah extraordinary mm. sort of links but for this week unfortunately we have run out of time on our amazing experiences. But um, Mark, thank you ever so much for sharing with thank us you. your your adventures. And I will <laughs> definitely be not going and trying a uh, to make an oyster omelette right now. But it's uh, <laughs> one for James to do. And mm. James, what a, a delight that you are. I'm, I'm sure there's now we go to Zanzibar and there'll be some legend of the of yes. the great fisherman statue of him. Statue oh i like to think statue, so statue, i mean i've been married now you know depending when you listen to this podcast close to 25 <laughs> years now so i think the four or five beach huts i have i've not been back i think it's been developed into quite a large hotel complex so i like to think there will be some reference to me somewhere there'll be somewhere. A, a little group of rooms or maybe a hall or just an entrance where a statue there'll be whispers like it'll be like Something the fisherman like out of jaws he'll be at the end of the guy. bar maybe maybe he'll come back one year i heard this man <laughs> and then we will eat again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. This week. Oh, Thanks, wonderful. chaps. Thanks, James. Right. Speak to you soon. Bye.